Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so glad to have you here. We're so glad to worship with you. If you haven't been here before, then you need to know that we're about discipleship here, okay? And we are disciples who make disciples who live and love like Jesus. And right now, that's what um, we're doing right now. Our youth right now are serving our children's ministry. It's the coolest thing. This is the only church I've ever seen this happen. But they go on a missions trip. They learn, uh, you know, the curriculum for a, for a VBS program. And then they bring it back here. And then they, they, they lead it for our kids. And boy, my kids really, my, I have teenagers, and they really have much more of an appreciation for teachers. So they're like, <laughs> my youngest is like, I don't know what's wrong with these kids. They can't pay attention. I was like, really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, today we're going to continue our study in Acts, and we're in the chapter 19. And it picks back up with Paul's journeys. And it's interesting, on the topic of discipleship, Paul finds 12 very unique disciples in Ephesus. And we're going to see why that is. He actually interacts with them and, and finds out that they're kind of missing a few key components. So it, it's a really important uh, you know, section of scripture that can really be misinterpreted. But it reminded me, a few of us were at a funeral this week, um, and it reminded me of that funeral service, um, this, this missing piece, okay? The reason is because the man who passed away uh, in his 70s, he lived a, a long, full life and, and his, uh, had tons of family and friends there. Uh, you could see that he was so beloved of everyone there. Um, he grew up, he became saved at a young age, uh, as many of us have. He attended church, studied his Bible. He, he knew the Bible fairly well. People would say that he would talk about Jesus, he would quote, you know, scripture. But during the testimonies of his family, they intentionally gave very um, real, honest testimonies, probably the most that I've ever heard at a funeral in my entire life. And I didn't know what to, what to think about it. I was actually um, leading the service, and so I didn't, even, I didn't know how I would connect my message in to where they were going. But they were very, very honest about their, their father's struggles. They would say that he knew what to do. He knew what to do. But he struggled um, pretty much his whole life with, with some, some habits, uh, some, some anger issues, different things. But they were very real about that and told some stories um, for the intention of helping others learn from his mistakes. They said, you know, he would teach us the Bible. He would tell us what to do, but he just couldn't do it himself. He, he knew about repentance you know, and, and the need for forgiveness of sin. So he was, he was very much aware of that and humbled by that, but he didn't have the key component to his Christian life. And it's a challenge that nearly every Christian faces from one time to another, and some for all your life. It's this challenge of living an actual victorious Christian life, not a defeated one. And Paul, the apostle, he, he writes about this struggle because every believer has this struggle. At the end of uh, chapter 7 in Romans, he talks about this internal war that's waging on inside of us, right? One that many of us feel like we always lose. I feel, I've, I've felt like that a, a number of times in my Christian walk. And in fact, in verse 19, you know, it's one of my, you know, favorite ones to, to come back to at times to remember 
that even Paul said these words. He said, for the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil I do not want. Have you ever felt like that? Yeah, if, if you say no, you're lying. Because <laughs> um, Paul's talking about this struggle. We are, we are humans. We are frail. We are fallible. We're not perfect. So we struggle with this. And he, you know, it reaches a crescendo at, at, at verse 24 where he's talking about the struggle. What's going on inside of me? And then he says, wretched man that I am. Wretched man that I am. I mean, we have to maybe modernize that term, but horrible person that I am, despicable me. There's a movie like that. But wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? And if you know the context (laughs) to that expression, it takes on a whole new meaning. We know the Romans were gruesome punishers, right? We know the crucifixion. We've, we've, I think everyone in this room knows about that. It's a gruesome uh, death penalty. But did you know that on uh, foreign soil, for those, those nations that they would dominate, for a murderer, the penalty would be that they would strap the dead body, eyes to eyes, mouth to mouth, hand to hand, they would connect and strap that dead body to the murderer. And their whole rest of their life, as short as it will be, was strapped to that body. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Wretched man that I am, who will, who will deliver me from this body of death? The decay that was, it would seep in and, and kill the person within months. And that's where he's struggling here. And this is really, you know, the, the, the key to most of our lives. We, we don't know how to get out of this struggle. But Paul doesn't leave us hanging. So in in Romans 8, he launches right into the answer. And the entire first half of Romans 8 is the answer to our problems. Right? And he starts by saying in Romans 8, 2, for the law of the spirit of life. That's the Holy Spirit. The spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Set you free. The solution is not in only half of the gospel, right, that there's repentance and forgiveness of sin, but it's also in the fact that we receive the Holy Spirit for the power and life that we need. That is the answer. And most people don't really know what that means. So today, we're going to look through this story and see where it connects in. The the significance of the Holy Spirit inside of us is something that God took very seriously and we should take very seriously. Most Christians and churches completely, completely misrepresent and misunderstand the Holy Spirit. He is the most misunderstood person of the Trinity. But today we're going we're gonna to dive into the indwelling Holy Spirit, the power that we all have available, all of us who believe, and the keys to unlocking that power. Okay? So let's get started. As I mentioned in our text, we're, we're looking at Paul again. And, you know, there was a little bit of a break last week. We saw some other characters. We're back with the main character in the second half of Acts, Paul. And he, he's wanted to go, he, he has wanted to go to Ephesus for so long 
but the Spirit prevented him from going. But finally, we're going to see that he arrives in Ephesus, his long-term goal. And in fact, in the weeks to come, we're going to see that he stayed there for about three years. And the, the story we're going to talk about today is this divine appointment that God had for him right when he arrives in Ephesus. And he meets these very unique apostles, or, or I'm sorry, disciples. Let's read in Acts 19, uh, 1 through 7. I'm reading from the NIV. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul answered or asked, What then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. And Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So very simple text. I'm sure you guys, you know, I, I love this one. It's, um, it, it's, it's one of those tricky sections of Scripture that, you know, you're, you're reading something and you're like, that seems a little contradictory to what I know to be right about in the rest of the Bible. And so it kind of gives you a pause. But the, the important thing to know is, as with, with any section of Scripture, we just dive in and look at the, the actual context within the book of Acts, why was it there, what's it, you know, what's it telling us, and how does that correspond to the rest of the Bible, the rest of the New Testament, and, and the meaning will become very clear, and I want to show you, it's really cool, we have a chart uh, later on that I want to show you, but there's two main questions let's quickly ask and answer about this section. The first is, Luke calls these men disciples, there's 12 disciples, but they don't have the Holy Spirit. Well, why is that? So, I mean, that's the first question I asked, you know, when I looked at the, at the text. Because we know from the New Testament, I think you've heard this before if you've, if you've been here before. Because we, we, we teach that, you know, anyone who's born again, anyone who's a believer, immediately has the Holy Spirit permanently living inside of them, as Sharon mentioned. You know, a couple of verses, 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. And in Romans 8.9, this is very clear. Paul, Paul delineates, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. It's very clear. So if you do not have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you are not uh, a believer and you don't belong to Christ. So why is it that these disciples didn't have the Holy Spirit? The short answer, really, and the interesting thing in, in Paul's approach, don't you love his approach? He met some people, and just like we should be doing when we're out, you know, if somebody says, I'm a Christian, you don't go, cool, so am I, and then move on. 
ask them some questions. That's what Paul did to understand where are they? Where are they spiritually? Are they really a believer? And, and so he's asking these questions, and we see that it led to the fact that the short answer is they were not believers in Christ Jesus as their Savior. They were not yet believers. They did not know about Jesus, and they didn't know about the Holy Spirit. Those are two very important components of the gospel. And we can see that from our text. The first thing is, you know, Luke uses this term, uh, disciples, okay? And, and it really means learner or follower. And, and that was used in the Bible multiple times to mean uh, disciples of the Pharisees, disciples of uh, John the Baptist. And in this text specifically, in verse 3, we see that these, these guys are disciples of John the Baptist. That's what they're saying. We, you know, were baptized by John's baptism. We followed John. John told us to get ready. We're ready. And, and so that's the other component here. They didn't know that the Messiah had ever come. And that's interesting. I mean, we live in a day of instant information. But these guys had been somewhere around Jerusalem and had been part of the baptisms that John the Baptist was doing. He that Maybe they followed a follower of his. Last week we talked about Apollos, who also had not heard about all the things um, that had gone on since he left that region but they, they didn't have instant information. So these guys did not know that Jesus was the Messiah and that he had come to fulfill all of prophecy and to fulfill what, what John was preparing them for. And so they had taken that first step. They, they had taken that repentance step that John preached about. And they were, they were on board. They were waiting. And Paul needed to tell them that he's here, he's arrived. And John uh, the Baptist in Matthew 3.11 speaks of the limitations of his own ministry and prepared people. And, and he said, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so once Paul fills them in on the elements of this full gospel, they became believers in Christ, and they received the Holy Spirit. And, you know, it, it makes me think, so when we think about the gospel, you know, and, and most people, most times we don't break it down, you know, really succinctly like I'm going to do here, but you have the component about repentance. You have to acknowledge that you're a sinner, Right? Right? You know, you, you have to acknowledge that you can't do it on your own. And that was what, what John was preparing people for. And then you have, you know, people get into the next level. They, I mean, they, you know, they know that they need forgiveness of those sins. And they know that, that it can only come from Jesus. All right? And when you focus too much on the repentance component, right, when you're thinking about repentance all the time, you live in a defeated state. You feel guilty all the time. I know a lot of you out there. <laughs> I know those of you who feel guilty, guilty about things that you've done or, you know, can you ever be forgiven? And then you have the people who believe wholeheartedly in the forgiveness of sins, so much so that they don't care how many times they need that forgiveness. 
And I know some of you out there that, that just take sin casually. I'm not concerned about what goes into my eyes. I'm not concerned about what I listen to, the words I say. I'm, gonna, I'm already forgiven. I'm going to be forgiven. And that's, you know, we are. We are forgiven before we even ask. But we do not cheapen grace by coming cavalier to the table and asking for that forgiveness. So that, that, that's another pitfall. But a lot of us, almost all of us are over here. We're missing that third component. We're missing the opportunity for victory, the power that we have. That's the other component, that the Holy Spirit is inside of us to live out Christ's life in us. And that is an amazing thing to think about. And that is what we need to preach to ourselves every day. That's what we need to remind everyone every day, is that full gospel. And the other question that comes up in this is, you know, I hope you're asking this question, why did Paul have to lay hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit? Did you, and you don't have to raise your hand, you know, did, is that how you received the Holy Spirit? You know, and I think, I think, so it's a little tricky. What we need to realize is that the book of Acts is an intermediate or, or transitional book between the old and the old, you know, the Old Testament, the Gospels, Acts, it's in this intermediate state before you get into the epistles or the letters that are written, okay, by the apostles. But when you're here in the middle, you know what's going on? They're still proclaiming the gospel. They're still spreading it out. I mean, here you are in Ephesus, and they hadn't even heard that the Messiah had come yet. And we'll see in chapters uh, to follow that the word is spreading. The word really is spreading. But it takes time. It took many years. It took decades. It's taken years now to reach, uh, uh, reach unreached people groups. So that message is, was being disseminated. The, the New Testament was not written, okay, so they don't have, you know, this compact Bible that we have in multiple versions. So God was working in miraculous and unique ways to authenticate his message and his messengers. He was speaking to his people through miraculous ways. And this is actually the last, the, the last of four occurrences where the Holy Spirit is received in a, in a supernatural or, or special way. And if you look at this chart up here, and this is the chart I was referencing, I'm going to just read, rip right through this, and you can, you can ask for this later. Um, but there were four times, specifically in Acts, that, that God specifically wanted to have a miraculous showing of the Holy Spirit arriving. And he had a purpose for that, and I'm going to tell you in a second. The first was in Acts 2, the first time, you know, the, the Holy Spirit came down as tongues of fire, as the apostles gathered in the, you know, in a room together, and then all kinds of things happened after that, right? Acts uh, 8 is when the Samaritan believers received the Holy Spirit when Peter and John laid hands on them. Again, a very unique event. You hear the story of Cornelius in Acts 10, when Gentiles received the Holy Spirit as Peter was speaking to them after they had believed. And then here, 
Um, we have what I would call these uh, Old Testament saints, all right? These carryover uh, disciples of John the Baptist who had not yet heard the, the message. And the real purpose God had behind all of this, these four occurrences, he had two main purposes for this that I can see, probably many other reasons too, but two main things that we know for sure. One is that at every one of these instances, an apostle was present, okay? One of the apostles were there to confirm this event. Peter actually was at three of them. To convert, confirm this event for the purpose of emphasizing unity, unity. If you read through that concept that every believer, Jew and Gentile, doesn't matter, every believer is filled with the Holy Spirit, that was a really, really hard concept for the early believers to understand. And that is why it took four different, very unique occurrences for four unique groups of people so that God would show that all are one in the Spirit. Colossians 1, uh, 1 Colossians, 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 13 says, for we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we have all, we were all given the one Spirit to drink. So it's, it's very much this message of unity. It's also about emphasizing the importance and the absolute necessity, the necessity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is not an option. Did you know that? Living with the Holy Spirit's power is not an option, it's a necessity. We cannot do it without Him. We cannot do it without Him. So God uses these four events in a miraculous way to show the power of the Holy Spirit coming. And, and really, if you look back, when we started, we talked about this. The very first, I went back to our notes from almost a year ago, when we kicked off Acts, we talked about the importance of the role of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 1.8, uh, you know, before Jesus ascended, he predicted this. He, he told them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. For what? For what purpose? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it's this power we want to focus on now. We want to zero in on if it was so important to God, if he emphasized it in this uh, miraculous way, we want to look at what is so important about the power because if we don't live in the power of the Spirit, we will fail every single time. And the power of the Spirit unused is like an unused pair of new sneakers. Right? Let me explain that. Okay. Some of you just nodded, and I don't think you were really paying attention. But this, this is... Okay, so a few of you, maybe many of you, have heard me lament being a very poor child, uh, the son of a pastor. We didn't make a lot of money. I did my dad's taxes later on in life, and I looked back and was like, oh my, you really didn't make a lot of money. So we didn't make a lot of money. We were poor. I appreciate that now, but it created some quirky habits when I was a kid <laughs> that I've grown out of, trust me. 
Um, but here's one of them. I was 12 years old. These new LA gear regulator pumps came out, right? The ones where you kind of, you know, you pump them up, all the power in them. I wanted them. I wanted them so bad. But I did not have the money. And my dad, this is, I, he was famous for this. Well, I'll give you 10 bucks for them. Or like, you know, towards, towards the, the shoes. $10 is a new pair of shoes, right? No, it wasn't for even the oldest person in this room. That wasn't a good price, okay? So they were like a hundred and some dollars. I had no money. Um, $10 wasn't going to get me very far. Saved up all my allowance money. I did every chore I could. Birthday, Christmas money. It took a while, trust me. It took me a while because my parents were not big on shortcuts for us. They, they let us grit it out. I got the shoes. I bought them. Brought them home, you know. Opened the box on my bed, just kept looking at them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then I put them in my closet, okay? Because I'm not going to get those things dirty. So I um, would not wear them. <laughs> I was so, so worried about getting them dirty that I wore these junky old sneakers. They had holes in them. I wore them wherever I went. And my family, my friends are like, why, you know, why, why don't you wear your new shoes? Oh, I'm saving them for a special occasion. <laughs> very special occasion. Very, very special occasion. And, and unfortunately, you know, I missed a big part of the process of having new shoes. That they're only as good as wearing them allows them to be, right? If you're not wearing sneakers, they're not very useful in your closet. So by the time I figured it out, I had grown two sizes. Unfortunately, that was the summer that I had a growth spurt. I grew two sizes. My feet are bulging out of them, getting blisters, and I'm like so upset, and reluctantly, I had to give them to my annoying younger brother, who immediately wore them, ran around all the place, and had the power of the regulator pumps that I was looking for. So that's what I mean. It's, it's like an unused pair of sneakers. As Christians, we don't take them out of the box. We don't even understand what that power is going to give us. You know, and here we have the perfect sneakers for our Christian walk. And we don't use them. We don't use them. We, we use those junky old sneakers of our flesh, and we just try our best every day, put them back on. So what power is available to us? We've, we've looked at this before. I mean, in, in fact, I could probably do a series for the next couple years on the power of the Holy Spirit, but we're just going to summarize it. So I have a chart here. Just a couple things. Again, snap a picture. We can put this up on social media. Look it up. Study it yourself. But these are just some of the references. And, and it's, these are real. This is, I'm not like, you know, just exaggerating. You got to get excited about this. I mean, this is what we have available to us. This is what's living inside of us. God in us. He can give us confidence, strength, and power. And everybody in this room would say, I want that, right? But we live without it because we're not 
allowing the Holy Spirit to live in us. Ephesians 3.16 says that we are strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit in our inner being. And Romans 11 is, is awesome. It tells us that the very same resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us and gives power to our mortal bodies. We have all the power we need. And we also can have wisdom and insight. How many of you face challenges, decisions, issues, annoying people, and you wonder, what should I do? Why isn't God speaking to me? Why don't I know what to do? But the problem is we're not relying on the Holy Spirit because He gives us freely wisdom and insight. These verses I have here, they, they reference that the Spirit opens our eyes to understanding God's purpose for us. He does that through revealing the written Word of God, the Bible. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, sometimes He'll just give you that one step forward, just that one step, right? But you have to have faith and step out then and walk with Him, and He'll keep leading you further and further. He's not going to give you all the answers. You can't explain when you are walking with the Spirit, when you're serving in your area of giftedness. The Spirit transforms us into the image of Christ. He does all the work. Little by little, increase in glory and assurance of salvation. We have, as, as these verses reference, we have the seal of the Holy Spirit inside of us. A permanent, irrevocable seal that guarantees our future inheritance and our eternal life. You can never lose your salvation. When you are His, when you are a believer, his spirit comes to dwell within you permanently. And thankfully, you can never lose that salvation. It is something that has motivated me to step out away from any fear. How can you fear anything, right? Death, anything. And I'm, I mean, I'm not saying you, you act reckless, but you don't have to fear sickness and disease and, because we have an eternal life that's guaranteed by the Holy Spirit of God. Okay? So the keys... To unlocking this. Um, and, and when you unlock this, this, these truths, when you're really walking in the Spirit, Paul calls it um, also being filled with the Spirit. But one of the things for me that, that really was an eye-opener, my dad gave me a book a while back, way back when I was in my early 20s, and this is what really triggered it in my mind. I didn't realize how many times and how much I am walking in my own strength, in my own independence. And it's something that here in America, we've come to kind of applaud. Like the very things that would make me successful at work actually made me a horrible Christian and a husband. You know, somebody that's assertive and, and has, you know, all the, the details figured out. You know, and I felt like I was doing good. You know, you don't really, it wasn't sin, sin, you know, that kind of sin, like alcohol and all that other stuff. It was like, I didn't know I was sinning. I'm just, you know, doing things on my own, doing the best I can. But I opened this book, and it's called Lifetime Guarantee by Bill Gillum, and it's a book that my wife and I have read a million times. It's something you have to remind yourself all the time, all the time. But it really triggered 
the, the answer to what we're all facing, to, to realize and become dependent, to slow down. And the first thing we do is we come to God in prayer. I, this is, I'm going to tell you three things, and they're no-brainers. Trust me, you've heard these before. But I want to encourage us that they really are three things that will help us. Every one of us. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. You take the time, and it will work. It takes time, and it takes practice. It takes patience. It's not easy. But nothing good ever comes easy. So it's prayer. Prayer is the first thing. We come humbly before God. The best part of prayer is that it allows us to submit to God as our sovereign creator and Lord. Right? We tell him about our problems. We plead with him about our situation. Why can't I find a job, Lord? Why does my wife have cancer? Why is my son hanging out with those people and doing those things? You got to plead with him. You got to come to him. And because it helps us bend to his will. See, the power of prayer is that it changes you. It changes every one of us. It doesn't change God's will. <laughs> right? It doesn't change God's will. It changes us. He bends us and, and transforms our hearts to align with his will. Then all of a sudden, you know what happens? The path, path becomes clear. You see it. Or the answer is, is more real. Or the comfort's there that you know, okay, he's got this. So prayer humbles us. And for me, sometimes that's a really hard thing. I get afraid that maybe he won't give me what I really desire. Has anybody felt like that? Or maybe you feel like you want to negotiate. I'll do this. But um, I want that. <laughs> you know, He doesn't need to negotiate with us, okay? When we trust him, when we put our arms up, when we put our hands up in dependence, knowing that he will work all things for our good, then he brings us to that perfect place of humility and, hum and, and, and submission to his will. And the word, right? We've, we've said this before. The Bible, you need to be reading your Bible every day. You need to be praying throughout the day, reading the Bible at least once a day, or you will not see the power in your life. It is the very sustenance and, and life and breath. You know, what did uh, Jesus say in Matthew 4, 4? You know, when he's tempted by Satan, he said, man shall not live on bread alone, but, by, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord God. And for us, it's the same. He, he uses it to give us discernment, illumination of, of what's going on, you know, what's interesting, unbelievers cannot understand the Bible. And what I mean by that is, it's like they're reading someone else's mail, right? They can read it and, and intellectually understand it, but they cannot understand it spiritually and exper experientially, which only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, illuminating, activating that. And so we have that available to us. And, you know, in Second Peter, 
The Apostle Peter talks about the, the Word of God is an illuminating light in the darkness. And man, is it dark out there. We need this light. And the last is obedience. And that sounds pretty straightforward, um, but it's not really. Because, uh, you know, sometimes it's by uh, sin of omission. You know, we, we kind of tune out what God wants us to do, and that, that takes us out of the power of the Holy Spirit. And obviously, when we, you know, are sinning willfully, that always takes us outside of the protection and power of God, always. When you have willful sin and disobedience in your life, think about it, right? I mean, when you have a child who's willfully sin, you know, sinning or disobeying you, you your relationship is, is strained. And they're stepping out of your protection. I tell that to my kids all the time. You obey, you know, we're not, we're not that strict. You know, we try to do, we're looking out for you. If you obey, you're under an umbrella of protection that God gives you under your parents. And we too, you know, are under an umbrella of God when we are walking according to his word. It doesn't mean that things are going to be great. It doesn't mean that nothing bad is going to happen. But then you know, you know that in that event, you were where God wanted you to be. And that event is for his purpose. So obedience is, is extremely, extremely important. That's our inward motives, our outward actions. You know, because some people treat sin like it's a reward, right? Like it's a reward. Like they, 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 if they're hurt or, you know, offended or wronged or bored, it's like, well, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just do this. Gonna get, you know, I'm going to go buy that or I'm going to tell them this. And, and the problem is they don't see that it's really, they're trying to meet a legitimate need illegitimately. They're trying to do it apart from God. And as we said in the beginning, they're trying to, they don't see that sin is actually the very body of death that you have been set free from. Why would you go back to that? And so, why wouldn't we want to all be walking in the Spirit? Well, I'm going to give you simple reason why. And, and I have to be honest, you know, this requires a lot of patience, right? I think we all know that. It, it, it takes a lot of time. Because we can get distracted. We can take our eyes off of God easily. In fact, Jesus talked about this in Matthew, um, or I'm sorry, Mark 4.19, right? If you remember his, one of his parables about the, the soils, he says, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and they choke out the word and make it unfruitful. And the worries of this life, I mean, I think we know what those are. I, I struggle with this. I struggle with this a lot. I get kind of worried when things are kind of outside of my comfort zone. This past week was interesting. We had, you know, an unexpected funeral and different things going on. It really made me worried. Am I going to have anything to say on Sunday? Because there's a deadline to that, you know, and, and, I, and I worried about some things. And, and, I, and I just, you know, constantly was thinking, I had to remind myself, is that making it better? Did I, did I, am I getting my sermon written because I'm worrying? You know, I think we know the answer. Uh, you know, Jesus said, who by worrying has been able to add even an hour to the day? 
right? We can't, we can't add anything. Worry it takes our, our trust off of God, takes our eyes off of God. And we think that he's not good enough or strong enough or powerful enough to actually handle our little issues. That's, that's a big one for me. I'm going to be honest, too. The next one, deceitfulness of wealth has been a problem because I'm, I'm a planner. And I know I'm not the only one out there. But I like to plan. I like to provide for my family. I think that's a good thing, right? But it's one of those things that are a good thing that can, that can go bad. They can get too much. Where I stop trusting, where I start worrying about God, uh, you know, meeting our, our, our needs. And I've been, you know, we've all been in different situations in life where, you know, issues come up, job loss, um, you know, sickness, something, and, and we begin to kind of like fixate so much on that need for money that we take our eyes off of God. And the last is this desire of other things. I mean, I think that's a catch-all. But for me, you know what that com comes to sometimes? I think, I think a lot of us struggle with discontentment. This desire for other things comes into, like, I wish this was going on instead. I wish my life was like that. I wish I had this kind of job. It's not always things. It's circumstances, right? You know, we're not thankful. And, and the problem is we take our eyes off of where God has us right now when we start looking at where we want to be later. And we think that's, that's what's best for us. So the best antidote for that is to be grateful. Wake up and start with being grateful and thanking God for everything that is going right in your life. And then wait till the end of that list, if you've really been honest, and then you add your complaints. I think, I think we don't realize how, how great we have it here. And so for me, you know what I do? I've learned, um, it was a recommendation in this book too, when you get distracted with those three things, use it as a reminder to pray, right? You're worried about something. Stop and pray about it. You want something. Stop. Take it to the Lord. You're discontent about something going on in your life. Talk to the Lord before you talk to 10 different people, right? Because he'll actually give you an answer. And so I want to challenge you, okay? This is a challenge that I was in a men's group 20 years ago in a men's group. And one of the guys who was leading, he, he challenged us with something that I origi originally was like thinking it was like, what, what is he talking about? It sounds like a stupid challenge. But I, I'm a competitive person, so I took the challenge, and, I, and I, it changed my life. Um, he challenged us, I really want you to actively, intentionally walk in the Spirit all day tomorrow. You can have the rest of the day off. <laughs> but tomorrow, tomorrow, wake up, put a reminder somewhere on your, on your mirror, Okay, somewhere, you know, on your, the, your car horn, steering wheel, remind yourself all day long, all day long, maybe set a little timer, but think about it. Think as you're walking through the day, intentionally thinking, am I walking in the Spirit? Am I relying on God? Because for me, 
I realized that, you know, an hour into the challenge, I had taken back control about 50 different times when that guy cut me off and I, you know, it's like, and then I get the work and I get into this, like, you know, I always would see the building of, of, of my former company and I'd be walking into the building and I'd think of the movie, The Matrix. I'm like, I'm just in the middle of The Matrix. Like, you get into this, this mindset of like, you forget about all those spiritual things. Like, my Bible's left at home. And so I, st- I brought my Bible that day. That was weird. I started praying throughout the day. So think about that. Do that. I challenge you. Take the challenge. Remind yourself. Think about it. Be praying throughout the day. Open the Word. Challenge yourself to really see where are your weak points. Where does the enemy slip back in? Where are you doing things all on your own? Because I guarantee you, as frustrating as it might be, it will be the most important lesson you will learn about how much you need the Holy Spirit's power, okay? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for who you are, three in one. How could we ever do it without your Holy Spirit inside of us? Lord, we thank you for the guidance that the Holy Spirit gives us as you illuminate your revealed word, your very words. We thank you for the spiritual gifts you give us, that you bless us with gifts that could be used to build up your body here in this local church and across the world. We thank you for the confidence, the power that we get as you walk through us in our lives that we can speak boldly about who you are, that we can be proud of being children of the Most High, that we have nothing to fear in this life. We thank you that your fruit lives out through us as we yield ourselves to you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. We just thank you, Lord, that you would be so good to us to give us your attributes, allow us to be like you. And I thank you, Lord, for the permanence of my salvation. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve any of what you have given me. I haven't earned it, and I definitely can't keep it on my own. So I thank you that your Holy Spirit lives inside of me, that he is giving me the power to live in this horrible world that we live in at times, to be able to walk in this darkness as a representative of your light. I ask, Lord, that you work in the hearts and minds of everybody here, that we would take this seriously, that we would emphasize in our lives the role of the Holy Spirit, to know that you are with us, that you grieve with us, that you empower us, that we would all be challenged to day by day, moment by moment, Relinquish control of our lives. Let you be in the driver's seat. That we could see your work be done here on earth. Amen.